G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I've got Grant Dusting from McCrindle on the show, and he's a social researcher. Some might call him a futurist. We're going to be delving into some really interesting topics on our future of population and housing trends and what's expected for the economy and just how all these things can potentially impact our property market and the types of properties that may be desirable and in demand. So lots to cover today. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. I'm not sure if you ever sit around late at night wondering where we're headed with the future of Perth. Perhaps I'm a bit of a weirdo, but uh, it led me to come across my guest today, Grant Dusting, and I'm really excited to have him on to fill us in on just where his research shows that we're headed. And I think he pulls together a lot of different research from all sorts of people and makes it understandable, which is what I love about Grant. So thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, thanks, Jared. Yeah, it's, um, well, I appreciate those, those words. And I think that's our, that's our goal is to not just produce stats and data and numbers, but to make it understandable and relatable so that people like your listeners can actually apply it to their decisions around property and future and things like that. Well, we can all get very lost in our own bubble and our own worlds <laughs> when it comes to day to day life. And we don't pop our heads up to see where we're actually headed. So I'd love to get your perspective on how Perth compares to other global cities and the other capitals around Australia, because we definitely, um, you know, don't take a moment to appreciate if our grass is greener or not. Mm. Well, as a born and bred West Aussie, I know how parochial we are and we're the best place in the world to live. And we all we all know that and we'll tell everyone that. So Yes, we can, we can kind of be in our own bubble sometimes, but it's a great bubble to be in. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting when we look at things from a demographic perspective, thinking about Perth as a city, we're a city of around 2.1 million people, which is a large city by global standards, but definitely not in the league of those kind of global mega cities, which are five times, even 10 times that size. Mm. But something that does really define us in Perth is just how sprawled out we are. So we've got so much space. And there's a really neat comparison here. So for example, Paris, we think of Paris as like a global city. Paris has a very similar population to Perth, around 2.1 million. Okay. However, in Perth, we're spread out across around 6,400 square kilometers, give or take a couple. So 6,400 square kilometers, whereas Paris fits the same number of people into just 105 square kilometers wow so if you're good at your mental mass you might be thinking well that that means that Perth's population density or sorry paris's population density is roughly 60 times that of perth yeah well that really so kind of paints a picture of that yeah comparing to some of those kind of global cities like an iconic city like paris we've got a lot more space than them and and I think for us in Perth, that's it's really the the north south sprawl. You know, where it, mm. the city just continues to stretch and stretch. And I remember in the last, you know, in, in decades past, Mandurah was 
kind of akin <laughs> to what Bustleton is now, Bunbury, yeah. but now it's Mandurah is very much considered part of the Perth metro area by most people. Yeah, so we've certainly got that to tackle with when it comes to town planning and providing amenities and, you know, all the, the government spend just to do so, which mm-hmm. we're picking up the tab of in one way or another. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think any listeners who are driving on the Quinana freeway, freeway <laughs> yeah, or the Mitchell some freeway, on the trains today, or on yes, the freeway, yep, right. know the challenges of, of that sprawled north-south city. Hmm. But we... we how do we compare for infrastructure-wise, I guess, to when I travel around, I see many other places don't aren't lucky enough to have that train and, you know, their freeways are clogged and, you know, it's mm-hmm. really difficult to get around. So the commute times are, you know, substantially longer, especially when we look at places like Sydney. So how do we compare from, you know, that livability factor of getting around? Yeah, well, I think the the sprawl creates challenges for public transport uh, mm. obviously higher population densities lend itself to public transport because it's you know that if you put a bus route here or a train line there there's a lot more people living in that vicinity who will access it and, and pay mm. for that service and the government can recoup the funding so i think it's always a bit of a chicken and egg problem with public transport investment is will you do you go with the build it and then they'll use it approach or do you wait for the demand but so I think, yeah, having lived in Sydney for a few years, just being able to compare even Perth and Sydney, I think, yeah, there's there's clear differences there in, say, public transport convenience, which is a lot harder in Perth if you're not living in basically outside of some of the best rail corridors, particularly along the, the freeway. It can be, yeah, it can be very challenging. So we are very car dependent as a city, and then that also feeds into those other congestion issues as well. Some people have compared Perth as a city to kind of like on the west coast of of the US, like a San Francisco. I mean, we don't. That's kind of a w- world's worst kind of urban sprawl problem level. So I like to think we're we're not quite that bad, but we're the comparison has been made, and I think definitely that that north south stretch is continuing as we see with developments. We keep going further north and further south. I mean, you look at Alcamos, which is one of the fastest growing yeah. suburbs in Perth which, yeah, going back 10 or 20 years ago, it was still just farms and there was a handful of people there. So it does make you wonder when will we hit that limit where we say actually it's... Yeah, let's start filling this in a bit more. (laughs) Yeah. So is there any other factors for comparison that you'd like to mention other than disbursement of population? And we touched on transport and ease of getting around, but I do see us in being named named as some of the in the top 10 for livable cities so Mm. there's got to be some other appealing factors that can you know have migrants want to move here because i I know they're lining up at the at the airport to come in at the moment yep well definitely now definitely now post post covid as the the borders internationally have reopened so i think when we when we think of perth we have that strong association with being a lifestyle city and there's a lot that plays into that Mm. there's Firstly, um, the weather. I mean, my mum's family heritage is from the UK and like a lot of people from the UK, they, they come over for the great weather and the beaches and, yeah. and the lifestyle. And, and historically, Perth's had a very high proportion of migrants from England and that's, that's diversifying now. We're getting a lot more coming from China and India, South Africa, New Zealand, other places. But historically, it's been, it's been the Poms who've been driving that Perth migration and and yes, a lot of that is driven by lifestyle. But also we've got not just the lifestyle, but 
people need to make a living. And so having that, that economic engine behind a city and a state like, like Perth and WA is really important. And obviously in, in recent years and recent decades, it's been the, the resources sector that's really driven and fueled that population growth. So there's a, there's a neat little comparison with a city like Adelaide, which I think for those mm, in Australia outside to start from seems. Yes. Yes. So I think there's often when you think about Australia, people think of Melbourne and Sydney kind of in the same breath as like the, the two mm. big cities. And then there's and kind of Brisbane. services and maybe education. I'd probably put up there as my guesses. <laughs> yep. Yep. A lot of, a lot of corporate headquarters and things associated with that. And then people often kind of group, yeah, Perth and Adelaide similarly, particularly those who are not from Perth or Adelaide, just, they just kind of get lumped together. So, yeah, I mean, 40, 40 years ago. Adelaide, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, can you believe they're, um, they're 150 odd thousand higher in their median house price at the moment? So that gripes. Yeah, me. right. Yeah. So, I mean, even taking Adelaide as a comparison, 40 years ago, our populations were neck and neck. In fact, Perth overtook Adelaide as the fourth largest city in Australia around 40 years ago. But mm. you, just to kind of give an idea of the scale of how fast Perth and WA has grown in those 40 years, Perth now, as I mentioned earlier, a city of 2.1 million, whereas Adelaide's grown a lot more slowly, around 1.5 million today. So I think that, and, and that's largely because you look at the comparison, Adelaide doesn't have that same resources sector providing those economic opportunities, attracting migrants from interstate and overseas. And then a lot of the infrastructure investment and things that are then possible. Yes, exactly. So I think that's definitely been one of Perth's stories over the last Mm. few decades. I definitely pinched myself and I'm like, yeah, look, we have made pretty good use of the money when you look around. We've got the amazing stadium. We've got the relatively new children's hospital. We've got the expansion of the other hospital south around Coburn Central there. We've got the the other entertainment venue in the CBD there. Um, yep. Perth Arena. Me at the or, moment. Yep. Thanks for saving me. Yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, some, and, and Elizabeth Key certainly taking shape, blown yep. away every time I go past and see, I think it's a residential building going mm-hmm. higher and higher and higher. It looks like it might be end up being the highest building in Perth. So that, that area is certainly taking shape down there and wouldn't have it, it's turning around what was an otherwise boring foreshore into something that's going to be pretty world class so mm. you should be grateful and thankful that for the mining resources coming back and making our city better so absolutely it's that the sector has definitely left a legacy on on perth and i think you used you used that word boring before and I, it's it's interesting you you use that term because mm-hmm. some listeners may know that Perth actually was given the uh, unfortunate yes. um, tag of of Dulles, Dullesville yeah. by when was that? By, I yes, well, that was back in the in the year two thousand, and that was an assessment by I think it was Lonely Planet who put out okay. their kind of yep. global cities guides and and those kind of things. And so in the year two thousand, people globally were looking at Perth and saying, well. There's nothing there. It's 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 pretty dull. But but I think the the proofs in the pudding when you look at the, the turnaround since even then in 20 years mm. now Perth is I, I've seen some lists for 2023 and you always got to take these with a pinch of salt because it's not necessarily a scientific method 
that's used to pick the most to know how much um, you know sponsorship goes into getting on those lists. <laughs> well, potentially, yes. Everything's so commercialized knows. now, but but I have seen Perth pop up in quite a few lists of places to visit in 2023. Which you think, well, we've we've turned around that dozzle tag, and mm. I think with and those large, visit, that's going to give us a greater chance for expose people to the wonderful place that it is to live and hopefully have a few more of them decide hey i'm, I'm not going to come back from this holiday we're going to move we're going to look to move over so absolutely i guess that's why education and getting that sector strong i think i'm pretty excited about you know the the combined campus that they've got going on and bringing more life into the cbd i personally think that's a really good move as well with it's curtain and ecu or, mm-hmm. yep you know with construction land and getting underway and that's if we can have more students want to come and study here then i think more will end up staying and becoming workers here and we certainly need the skilled labor and what better way than to attract students and have their parents also then want to come visit and then want to come mm-hmm. and stay and live here and you know it's i think it's a pretty pretty great move by the government to do that as well so mm. Yeah, it's a good point. And those kind of visionary projects, often at the time, there's public sentiment as well. Is that needed? It's a big investment. Yeah, could now, we've already got could now tax dollars be spent elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I mean, we look at Elizabeth Key now and it's still being developed, but just some of these big visionary projects, we've got kind of Metronet underway at the moment, mm-hmm. which is like encompasses a lot of transport projects. But, but I think often you, you look back, whether it's five, 10, 15 years, even Perth Arena, I know there was a bit of, controversy about that and the design at the time but it's Optus Stadium these places have won international awards and I think are helping put Perth on the map globally. Hmm. So for those of us that don't get out much where is our population dispersed around Perth? You mentioned that it's pretty sprawled and you mentioned how at the the far north Alcamos has you know become a had a lot of growth from virtually nothing we've seen that as well Um, and there's a lot more land supply up there still to come on what i can Mm. see so Mm -hmm. where is the population dispersed around yeah well that really the story of population growth in the last decade or or few decades really has been it's it's those outer suburbs that just continue to grow and again the the perth metro area continues to sprawl outwards so at the moment Mm. we can kind of divide it into almost to think about a compass in the north the northwest of perth Places like Alcamos continue to grow really strongly, one of our fastest growing areas. And then you've got in the, in the kind of the northeast, Ellenbrook, again, it's, yeah, one of the fastest growing suburbs in, in Perth. And then in, in the southern suburbs, you've, you've kind of got Valdivis in the south, yeah. south or southwest. Land around there as well. You, you just look at the map and you can see it's already, you know, got, some of the most number of sales every month for properties mm-hmm. and you, you're never short of a comparison to make uh, with plenty of other sales in the suburb each month. And I've sold a few properties down there recently, owners sort of choosing to get out because they're finally able to get the prices that they've wanted and they can mm. they know that the land is going to keep coming on and supply is mm. going to keep prices sort of subdued over the longer term, or at least that's what I think until it gets more established and is more fully built out. But yeah, I think Byford's the other one, wouldn't it be? Did you mention that? Yeah, in the other southeast? when we look to the southeast, is that that really is a growth corridor at the moment too? So currently, it's Byford kind of towards Serpentine, Jarradale, and if we look yeah, back over the last like ten years, the Brookdales and and Hiltons yep. and other suburbs through there, you, you know, you just pull up the map again, and yeah, you see land everywhere still out that way. 
Yeah, and it's no wonder. I mean, in the last decade, some of these suburbs like Serpentine, Jarradale, Garrow Waters, Harrisdale have actually been among the fastest growing suburbs in the nation. So it, yeah. you kind of get a bit of a gauge on how fast that growth is yeah. there in, in relative terms. And when we say growth, it's really important for the purpose of our listeners. We're talking about population growth, not necessarily house price growth. And it is interesting when, you know, different brokers and other people try to sell someone on an area and they say, hey, look, it's got huge population growth. We're getting amazing amenities. Oh, we're even getting a train station. Like it, it can be very alluring as an investor to go towards all those shiny objects. But what they don't tell you is that, you know, there's 20 stages coming up and they're going to keep rolling out land until the cows come home. <laughs> <laughs> the cows get pushed out of the land. <laughs> yes, as it as it turns out, yes. So it doesn't always make for the greatest investment from my perspective and what I have seen historically when I look back on, you know, those types of areas versus the more built-up areas that have a limited land supply that isn't going to keep having lots of housing come on. Zoning can be restrictive and not enable further development and that that's the type of area I prefer to put my money in do you have any perspective on that or is that just the mechanisms that, that pass by uh well I'm, I'm not the best person to get kind of property or financial or, or economic advice but but certainly in terms of the, the population growth i think it's what we're seeing in perth is actually not very different from what we're seeing in other cities like melbourne or sydney where yeah. you, you do get the strong population growth in the outer suburbs for yeah. affordability reasons but then the there are challenges with that and initially it's around infrastructure and services and public transport and so not have a school for a while exactly those things often take time to catch up i mean i think we've got the benefit of uh, having two million is a lot more manageable as a population of perth than say in sydney and melbourne where you've got five six million and they're really playing catch up so Mm. so yeah that, that does tend to be a pattern is you get the population growth but then the services take time to catch up and yeah. it's about kind of getting that kind of critical mass, I suppose, of which, which then really makes it more attractive as a lifestyle and probably when you get yeah. that property price growth, I would, I would yeah. imagine. Well, I noticed Mark McGowan also is working on fast-tracking lots of land in these outer areas. Have you seen too much about that and what's happening? Well, the, yeah, the market's been just running hot. So I think they've and, – and with – being driven by, again, going back to the resources sector and the economy, mm. we've got these economic factors that are that are driving that demand for housing because we've got... Like, yeah, well, where are these people going to go? You know, yeah. Do you have any, off the top of your head, what sort of population figures of... It's really hard with population because they... It seems to be such a lagging reported on thing. I'd love to see, you know, each month <laughs> where we stand. But mm. It's always like they release the data for a whole year like mm. six or nine or 12 months later and by then it's kind of we can be in a completely different other place with with how that's going so yes well yeah if if we're wanting to look ahead about where our population's mm. going i think yeah, that's a good thing to covid covid was a, a curveball for a lot of people doing population and economic modeling because that really threw us back in the works <laughs> yeah. particularly because in a place like australia where 60 around 60 percent of our population growth has historically been driven by overseas migration. Mm, so very as opposed to the natural increase, yeah, e- extremely dependent on it. So when we had a situation in March 2020 when almost overnight the international mm. border was closed, 
That's why you'd think, you know, the property markets are all going to crash. We, we, we're so reliant on population growth just for the pressure and demand and price, but it was almost the opposite that ended up happening. There was a lot of people that being stuck at home started to rethink some of their housing choices. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, confidence is probably the most important thing to, to push prices and have people feel like, oh, you know, those the kids want to move out and get their own place and they they have that confidence to do so. Or, you know, the average homeowner wants to upgrade and spend more and get into a better area. And there was a lot of, I think, social changes from that period as well. Mm. Absolutely. And that's where you get into more of the social or this what we might call psychographic. So what what's happening in people's minds and, mm. and how's that changing? Because we can talk population numbers and but but at McCrindle we have a focus both on the population and demographics but also understanding the the human behavior and yeah exactly as you said COVID was a real reset for many people and their life was disrupted whether through lockdowns or through change of work circumstances or etc and people were really rethinking well what's important to me in my job in my house where I want to live my family and so we've yeah, well, we've seen a lot of people rethinking their preferences for housing. A lot more people working in some kind of remote, well, either remote working or a bit of a mix of mm-hmm. not fully office bound anymore. So people spending more time at home means they actually want to have a room where they can do that. So it's almost like we've seen a bit of the bit more interest in the the home study. It's mm-hmm. kind of been been revived again. I don't know if you've seen that in discussions you've had with with your yeah, customers. Definitely. I know from my own personal experience, I'm working at the dining table because I like the light and other stuff. Mm. Whereas our our study at home isn't doesn't have any like windows, so it's kind of in the middle of the house and you know mm-hmm. not the not the nicest working spot. So if I was going to move again, I'd definitely be like, oh, where can I get a nice place with light and something where that's got a good work environment around? And I think that's I'm seeing that a lot more from buyers and tenants um, mm. when they're looking for a place. Well, that your experience is is not uncommon there, Jared. And I think when we consider this, that's happening at scale. We've got so many more people either working from home some of the time, or maybe even a lot of the time. Through the national research research we've run over the last few years, we've asked people about how they're thinking about their next home and is that changing. And and the short answer is yes. People are saying my needs are changing and thinking about those things like where's my workstation, and that's going to be. Kind of a primary consideration mm. particularly for the professional workers who are more likely to be able to work from home yeah. whether it's one or two days or more obviously that's not relevant to all industries but we've got a growing knowledge economy as it's been called so those professional services that can be delivered as long as you've got an internet connection and a, and a laptop really mm, definitely and you started to mention where we might be headed for our population what are the projections and what do you think is re- realistic? Yeah, well, we're, so we're, Perth is, we're at 2.1 million now and we're tracking towards around 2.5 million by 2030. So say over the next, I was going to say 10 years, but we're into 2023. So it's, it's less than 10 years, right? So tracking towards 2.5 million by 2030 and then going to be edging 3 million by 2040. So over the next yeah, 10, well. 20 years, you can see we're adding yeah, really adding an extra 400,000 over the next 10 years and, and looking to, to double that over the next 20. So it is going to be a story of growth. And I think the details of that and the specific numbers will depend on a few things like, again, the international 
migration policies and and how that's going to play out. We're already seeing a big rebound of international migrants to Australia, mm. even from the last six months of data that we've got. So there's a lot of people kind of coming to Australia and Perth is is really a destination city. Uh, a lot of people, and even within Australia, a lot of people are moving out of Melbourne and Sydney or being pushed out for affordability yep. reasons. So, yeah, over the last two years, really, what we've seen is Queensland and WA have had the most internal or inter interstate migration, yep. and that's largely come from Victoria and New South Wales. Mm. They were hit pretty hard in COVID especially, and, you know, I think that's scarred them a bit and been mm-hmm. like, well, where where else in Australia handled the COVID period better and had life relatively uninterrupted and our isolations yep. actually counting for something positive there? <laughs> yes, exactly. The most isolated city in the world. People have used that as a um, as a negative label, but hey, in a COVID or post COVID era, I think that's there's been benefits of that that we've seen. Mm. And are you seeing any like change in the household makeup as we move forward over these years and? I'm just curious how that might affect the demand mm. for certain types of housing because when we look across to Sydney and Melbourne, I guess with the population sizes that they've got and, you know, just the sheer affordability problem, people have embraced apartment living a lot more, whereas here in Perth, people are still shy away from higher density. So mm. I'm curious how that might play out. Yeah, well, there's there's some really big changes happening which – and not necessarily, not necessarily seen in the day-to-day changes, but these are changes that are really going to be shaping housing for the next 10, 20, 30 plus years. So one of those is just our, our cultural diversity that continues to grow. And this is really relevant in Perth. We're an extremely multicultural city. Mm. Around two out of every five Perth residents are born overseas. So that's really putting us on par with Melbourne and on par with Melbourne and second only to, to Sydney, really, in, in the Australian context. So we're very culturally diverse. And what that means is each culture is bringing different cultural norms and expectations. Mm. And we know that in a lot of the Asian cultures, and we have a, some of our strongest migrations from places like India, China, some of those other Southeast Asian countries, Malaysia, where it is a lot more common for families to live together for that intergenerational living which is a bit different to the traditional western way of of living and and kind of doing family life so i think those that that's that's a great example where demographic change is going to have a real impact and and we already see that in other other culturally diverse cities where you do get a lot more of those intergenerational households which they're gonna yeah they, they need those big homes so i think the the large um four or five bedroom homes in in Perth, which we're known for in the suburbs, they're probably going to be be being used by those mm, um, multi-generational households. Well, yeah, I see it at the moment when I'm selling a property, I get a whole family come in. It's like, it's not just, well, you know, the couple with their kids, it's grandparents as well, and they're all planning mm-hmm. to live together. And the feedback I often get is, look, this is not going to be big enough for us. We need a much larger lounge area. They may have a, want to make it a prayer room or where they have, like mm-hmm. complete family and and community gatherings as well, so there can mm. be a lot of different needs when we start dealing with all the different cultures and the diversity. But it's what makes it so exciting as well for me. Um, yeah, so. definitely. So we've got we've got the cultural diversity playing into things, but then also our aging population too. Mm. So, I mean, I remember when I was in, yeah in high school, 
in the geography class they were talking about the aging population so it's not a new phenomenon but it's mm. it's not going away we're continuing to like our median age continues yeah. to, to increase and so what it means all is these that breakthroughs and longevity and you know it's yep, very exciting longer. reading various books on it at the moment listening to podcasts and Yep. You know, we may have to reset our time horizons for, you know, maybe 100, 120, who knows how long we may live to mm -hmm. with some of the breakthroughs that are going to, that are already occurring and in clinical trials and stuff. So, yeah, it's really interesting mm. where we could Absolutely. Yeah. And so we've got a lot more people who are living longer and, and also people are, their preferences are changing. So, mm. whereas, yeah, again, 10, 20, 30 years ago, the idea of oh just having once you get your retirement years you kind of just go off to a to an aged care like a residential care facility yeah. and and that's kind of that's to be expected and and you just live out your days there whereas we're already seeing those expectations changing that that Australians who are hitting those that that life stage now of thinking about retirement and kind of getting into their seventies and eighties are wanting to stay in their their own home longer mm. they're wanting that more independent living yeah. and so we. Housing. You want to be closer to family for longer as well, and yeah, just that feeling of independence. Able and you know, have their health, and they don't they, they want to continue to keep enjoying life and not you know be far away in an environment that they're not used to either. Yeah, and we're already seeing interest. We've been commissioned to do research over the last few years from. Um, a host of developers, particularly in Melbourne, Sydney, looking at that vertical communities for that retirement age. So what, rather than kind of people living in retirement just in the traditional single-storey kind of aged care home, nowadays the the baby boomers in their retirement, they're very they're they're cashed up, they're more dynamic, their their lifestyle expectations are higher. So they they actually want to live in place, a lot of them want to live in places that have those amenities, mm. like have a shop might be an apartment style living arrangement where their their residence is upstairs and then downstairs you've got your retail options you've got your different food and and groceries and all of that within walking distance so obviously those that type of in infrastructure takes time to build but we're already seeing that kind of changing expectations and sentiment with as the the different generations come through mm, yeah nice and a change for demand for public or private schools because I know from all of the research that I do just how important the quality of the school is on the desirability for an area and how that affects prices over time. And, yeah, I was just curious. I was chatting to a couple yesterday about do you spend the, the money on the private school or do you spend the money on the house to get into a better public school catchment? Mm. And mm -hmm. there's that ongoing sort of weighing up of where they make that investment. So, yeah, how are the trends changing for from what you can see on this side. Yeah, well, you're right that education, a good education is a really primary concern or consideration for, for today's parents. And, and again, another kind of change in the psyche, people are increasingly looking at education from a customer or consumer lens and really wanting to think about shopping around and that they're not just going to be going, oh, well, this is the local school, so therefore that's, that's the yeah. only option and I'll just accept that people are much more like yeah. exactly they're much more likely to think well like well, i could shop around so to speak and and that might mean looking at different places to live and and all of that so yeah the data certainly backs that up and i think over the last decade the, the fastest growing school sector is actually the 
the independent schools as opposed to the, the government schools. So yes, it's a mm. private schooling. And that's quite even more kind of remarkable in a place like Australia where we have a, we have a brilliant public education system. So it's not mm. like in some countries where you definitely wouldn't want to send your kids to the government system because it's, it's maybe very underfunded yeah. and, and, and that we actually have a great system, but yet still parents are choosing or many parents mm. are, are choosing. I realised until I had a four-year-old just how great the fee difference is. And it's funny because my uh, four-year-old, we're planning to send her to a really great public school and they sent a little letter home and they've got a voluntary contribution and they, mm-hmm. they, they put so much emphasis on, you know, and work up to it. And I was expecting, you know, multiple thousands or something and I look at the amount and it's $80. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, oh, well, yeah, I think I can make the that $80 contribution, that will be fine. Yeah. But then the other flip side is I speak to other friends that are, you know, paying huge amounts per year for the private school fees and choosingly and and really wanting to give their their kids the best, even if that means them doing without in other areas. So it's pretty amazing the priority that people place on it. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's incredible the lengths that a parent will go to because they really want the best for their child and whoever they whatever they think that is they're gonna they're gonna go for it and for a lot of parents it's again they see all the change in the world and think wow the world's changing quickly i want to make sure that my child is equipped to to deal with and to navigate all of the technological and all of the social changes in the world and so parents are considering that as they make those kind of Mm. choices well, I also would be remiss not to go a little bit deeper into our state economy and what makes up the different industries because we've got a lot of East Coast listeners as well and their perception is that we're just completely all mining. So give us a bit of an insight into how this is broken up and what are some mm. of the, the growing sectors. Yeah, so I think I'm sure don't need to stress the point, but it's probably worth worth noting before we talk about the other industries and sectors that the scale of the resources sector in WA is really, yeah, it's really off the charts in terms of the global comparisons. It's it's extremely significant. That's why when mm. when the mining sector sneezes, we all catch a cold, kind of so yeah. to speak, like economically. But if you look at layer beneath, there, there is diversity there. So in terms of our looking at our state GDP, which is referred to as gross state product or GSP, that's the top industries that are contributing to our kind of state economic output in WA. The, the number two behind mining is actually business and, and property services at $25 billion per annum contributing. So we've got business and property services. We've got construction, which a lot of that is building the infrastructure to, mm-hmm. to house that growing population, which we've been talking about. Retail and wholesale trade is a is, is another one there. So yes, mining is front and center, but also those kind of the construction and also like the retail and, and trade are up there as well. And when we look to the future, the Department of, of Jobs and Small Business actually puts out projections of different industries, kind of employment and, and what they're expecting because they kind of have a lot of internal data, which we don't necessarily have access to at their disposal. So, so the growing industries over the coming years, and this is true in Perth, but also nationally, is that the the, the care kind of industry, mm-hmm. if we want to group it that way, so healthcare, um, aged care, kind of social assistance. Yeah. 
again, we've got an aging population. So I think if I was going to start any other business, it's going to be in that sector. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a good example. Yeah, exactly. Looking at the kind of supply and demand, so to speak, we're an aging population. We're continuing to grow, so it's, it's no surprise that's a big sector. Education and training is is a growing sector too, and I think that's continuing to evolve in as the the education mm. needs evolve and we're seeing a it lot seem more to be changing too it's like you know how much innovation there do we yeah. need a physical space to go to and how could we make some of the world's best specialists and teachers available to everyone and the internet's certainly opening up that but mm-hmm. then also having the the degree or the qualification recognized there's certainly Local employers will probably place greater emphasis on local institutions still. So there's a bit of that perception difference between where you've gotten your qualifications from. But there's so many different paths now to to lead to a, a different a career. And back in my day, it was, it was so much pressure put on. You, you would have probably been the same. You know, if you don't get good grades in your, your uh, year 12, then, you know, your life's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least it felt that way. Yeah, um, it's a lot of pressure for a 17, 18-year-old. Exactly. Not everyone thrives so, in that kind of environment. So, yeah, it's at least totally. encouraging that there is a lot of different, more avenues now to end up in that career that you want. So, Yeah, and and we do a lot of study across kind of the future of work and education, how that's changing. So if any listeners are particularly interested in that, they can simply just Google McCrindle and, and those topics and and there's yeah there's a lot that's changing and a lot of innovation happening for sure yeah cool so I guess the other thing that provides jobs is the infrastructure projects is there any that you're aware of that are going to make a, a big difference I guess to the desirability for different areas or our overall lifestyles in these like where they're going to impact I know we mentioned a few as we were mm. discussing along the way yeah, well, I think we've we've kind of touched on a few, but the summary comment, I suppose, is that we know that in terms of attracting, creating livable, pe- people want to live in areas that are desirable to live in. And so what feeds into that livability is those things like good good transport, both kind of by road and public transport. And so we're seeing a lot of investment across Perth and WA, but in Perth with a lot through the, the Metronet do you reckon projects. they'll ever finish, you know, whatever they're doing on the freeway? <laughs> it it feels like that, doesn't it? Thing? As, one, as, as soon as one extension's finished or road widening, oh, the next is there. It confuses but. me so much too. Like um, I was whinging to my wife the other night because I um, didn't notice that a section had changed to 80 kilometres mm-hmm. per hour and I'm expecting a speeding fine to come now. Mm. And, um, you know, I just can't keep track of when they keep changing these bloody speed limits well judging by the number of people who pass me when i'm doing 80 on those sections yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't be alone <laughs> i know so um, I don't, they must be you know trying to raise enough revenue from the speed camera fines to pay for the road widening or something <laughs> well hopefully <laughs> there is hopefully those can get those fines get put to good use i agree but i think probably the other the other main infrastructure thing is we've kind of touched on but the cbd and i think mm particularly for people who've been to other cities, I would say Perth, our CBD is not usually regarded as our strength. It's no. it's, it, it's a little underwhelming. And so this investment in Elizabeth Key, in like you described that 
getting that education hub, the Perth City deal. So hopefully I've heard things like that, maybe that's going to kind of fall over, but hopefully that can actually come to fruition because if you're creating kind of infrastructure and amenities to attract people, in that case, like a university campus in the CBD, it's going to attract people, they need somewhere to live, they need places to go to buy food, buy lunch, retail, and it just creates that economic hub, which can then have those other kind of livability benefits. So I think that's probably something to watch is the Perth CBD is an area of opportunity. And it's a bit of a, again, a, a bit of an insight into kind of just the Perth and WA mindset that we we don't really, a lot of people don't. We're, we're not very CBD centric. Mm. And I think that's because everyone just, goes home for the weekend and yep, can be a bit of a ghost town sometimes. Yeah, we're very much kind of the suburban lifestyle, but that that is starting mm, to change yeah, with so things slowly. like fringe festival and you know there's a lot more restaurants and cafes and things in there that are open that you know are worth going in for and yeah hopefully that continues to improve so yep awesome grant well thank you so much for bouncing things around uh, i know i was a little bit all over the place but uh so much interesting things to talk about today so thank you for your time oh it's a pleasure jared and honestly uh yeah our work is very, very disparate and covers a lot of different bases. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, always up for a, a wide-ranging conversation. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature, as we don't know your specific situation. You should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, Make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. 